Thank you very much. Laura and I are honored to be with you. Madam Vice President, Vice President Cheney, Governor Wolf, Secretary Holland, and distinguished guests. 20 years ago, we all found in different ways, in different places, but all at the same moment, that our lives would be changed forever. The world was loud with carnage and sirens, and then quiet with missing voices that would never be heard again. These lives remain precious to our country and infinitely precious to many of you. Today, we remember your loss, we share your sorrow, and we honor the men and women you have loved so long and so well. For those too young to recall that clear September day, it is hard to describe the mix of feelings we experienced. There was horror at the scale, there was horror at the scale of destruction and awe at the bravery and kindness that rose to meet it. There was shock at the audacity, audacity of evil and gratitude for the heroism and decency that opposed it. In the sacrifice of the first responders, in the mutual aid of strangers, in the solidarity of grief and grace, the actions of an enemy revealed the spirit of a people and we were proud of our wounded nation. In these memories, the passengers and crew of Flight 93 must always have an honored place. Here, the intended targets became the instruments of rescue, and many who are now alive owe a vast unconscious debt to the defiance displayed in the skies above this field. It would be a mistake to idealize the experience of those terrible events. All that many people could initially see was the brute randomness of death. All that many could feel was unearned suffering. All that many could hear was God's terrible silence. There are many who still struggle with a lonely pain that cuts deep within. In those fateful hours, we learned other lessons as well. We saw that Americans were vulnerable, but not fragile. That they possess a core of strength that survives the worst that life can bring. We learned that bravery is more common than we imagined, emerging with sudden splendor in the face of death. We vividly felt how every hour with our loved ones was a temporary and holy gift. And we found that even the longest days end. Many of us have tried to make spiritual sense of these events. There is no simple explanation for the mix of providence and human will that sets the direction of our lives. But comfort can come from a different sort of knowledge. After we wandering long and lost in the dark, Many have found they were actually walking step by step toward grace. As a nation, our adjustments have been profound. Many Americans struggled to understand why an enemy would hate us with such zeal. The security measures incorporated into our lives 
are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. After 9-11, millions of brave Americans stepped forward and volunteered to serve in the armed forces. The military measures taken over the last 20 years to pursue dangers at their source have led to debate. But one thing is certain. We owe an assurance to all who have fought our nation's most recent battles. Let me speak directly to veterans and people in uniform. The cause you pursued at the call of duty is the noblest America has to offer. You have shielded your fellow citizens from danger. You have defended the beliefs of your country and advanced the rights of the downtrodden. You have been the face of hope and mercy in dark places. You have been a force for good in the world. Nothing that has followed, nothing can tarnish your honor or diminish your accomplishments. To you and to the honored dead, our country is forever grateful. In the weeks and months following the 9-11 attacks, I was proud to lead an amazing, resilient, united people. When it comes to the unity of America, those days seem distant from our own. Malign force seems at work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear, and resentment. That leaves us worried about our nation and our future together. I come without explanations or solutions. I can only tell you what I've seen. On America's day of trial and grief, I saw millions of people instinctively grab for a neighbor's hand and rally to the cause of one another. That is the America I know. At a time when religious bigotry might have flowed freely, I saw Americans reject prejudice and embrace people of Muslim faith. That is the nation I know. At a time when nativism could have stirred hatred and violence against people perceived as outsiders, I saw Americans reaffirm their welcome to immigrants and refugees. That is the nation I know. At a time when some viewed the rising generation as individualistic and decadent, I saw young people embrace an ethic of service and rise to selfless action. That is the nation I know. This is not mere nostalgia. 
It is the truest version of ourselves. It is what we have been and what we can be again. 20 years ago, terrorists chose a random group of Americans on a routine flight to be collateral damage in a spectacular act of terror. The 33 passengers and seven crew of Flight 93 could have been any group of citizens selected by fate. In a sense, they stood in for us all. The terrorists soon discovered that a random group of Americans is an exceptional group of people facing an impossible circumstance. They comforted their loved ones by phone, braced each other for action, and defeated the designs of evil. These Americans were brave, strong, and united in ways that shocked the terrorists, which should not surprise any of us. This is the nation we know. And whenever we need hope and inspiration, we can look to the skies and remember. God bless. This just in, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. I just witnessed a plane that appeared to be cruising uh, slightly lower than normal altitude over New York City, and it appears to have crashed into, uh, I don't know which tower it is, but it hit directly in the middle of... Uh, one of the World Trade Center towers. The plane just uh, was was uh, coming in low, and the wingtips tilted back and forth, and then it, it flattened out. It looks like it uh, hit at a slight angle into the World Trade Center. I can see I can see flames now coming out the side of the building, and smoke continues to billow. I'd say the hold takes about, looks like six, seven floors were taken out, and there's more oh, explosions there's right now. Hold on, people are running. Wait, so hold on. on just a moment. We've got an explosion inside. The building's that... exploding right now. you got people running up the street. Okay. Hold on, I'll tell you what's going on. Okay, just uh, put, put Winston on pause there for just a moment. Okay, the whole building just exploded some more. The whole top part. Okay. The building's still intact. People are running up the streets. You are looking at this, at this picture, it is the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, both of them being damaged by impacts from planes. We saw one happen at about maybe nine minutes before the top of the hour, and just moments ago, so maybe 18 minutes after the first impact, the second tower was impacted with a, by another, what appeared to be another passenger plane. That's absolutely inexplicable. There, there shouldn't be any aircraft in that area, much less something heading what looked like deliberately for the World Trade Center Tower. We went to a high point in our building, which is on the 25th floor, and you had a clear view of the uh, both World Trade Centers, and the one tower was uh, smoking hard. And uh, there was another plane that was flying low, and we just looked at it, and before you know it, just kamikaze boom right into the other tower. and. Mass explosion, windows flying, it was horrible. We heard a big bang, and then we saw smoke coming out, and there 
everybody started running out and we saw the plane on the other side of the building and there was smoke everywhere and people are jumping out the windows over there they're jumping out the windows i guess because they're trying to save themselves i don't know Today, we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI, and have ordered that the full resources of the federal government go to help the victims and their families and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. We also have a report now that the, it was a plane that crashed into the Pentagon and we have a large fire at the Pentagon. The Pentagon is being evacuated as we speak. There is a lot of confusion here at the Pentagon. It appears that uh, something hit uh, the Pentagon on the outside of the fifth corridor uh, on the Army corridor. Several Army officers I talked to reported hearing a, a big explosion, seeing shards of metal uh, uh, coming past their window. The Pentagon has been evacuated. Uh, emergency services personnel were rushing to reports of several people trapped in the building. Most of the building's 24,000 people are outside of the building or in the center courtyard uh, as the emergency teams try to sort out what has happened here. There has just been a huge explosion. We can see uh, a billowing smoke rising. And I can't, I'll, I'll tell you that I can't see that second tower, but there was a cascade of sparks and fire. And now this, it looks almost like a mushroom cloud explosion, this huge billowing smoke in the second tower. This was the second of the two towers hit. And I, you know, I cannot see behind that smoke, but just look at that. That is about as frightening a scene as you will ever see. Just before 10 o'clock, parts of the building began peeling away. People started screaming. Uh, the police began yelling, run, run. And uh, thousands of people started running away from the buildings as they were falling. Put your hands up. 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 Put
There, as you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Good Lord. There are no words. Where I'm right now, there's a thick plume of smoke, and you can see crowds of people, including emergency service workers and police officers, running from the scene, screaming. And, and there's, a, there's a school nearby where there were kids in the schoolyard. That has been emptied out, and they're running up the street now, too. The, the whole sort of the neighborhood, I'd say several blocks up, is covered by this almost powdery smoke, little tiny pieces of building you can see just floating in the, in the wind around it. It's almost like a huge cloud had, had kind of enveloped that part of lower Manhattan. You saw people being wheeled on gurneys away from the site of the explosion. People were coming out with masks over their face, anything they could put over their face, because the air was still very thick with debris. We have a report now that a large plane crashed this morning uh, north of the Somerset County Airport, which is in western Pennsylvania, not too terribly far from Pittsburgh. We don't know if this is somehow connected to what has gone on in New York and Washington, but we do know that another plane has crashed this one about 80 miles south of Pittsburgh, or at least to the southeast of Pittsburgh. Everyone, I'm sure, on their minds is God rest the souls of those who've lost their lives this morning in New York, in Washington, uh, near Pittsburgh, in Pennsylvania. Um, it is just a story that, for which there are no words to describe. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge, huge structures collapsing, have filled us with disbelief, terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat, but they have failed. Our country is strong. A great people has been moved to defend a great nation. Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. America was targeted for attack because we're the brightest beacon for freedom and opportunity in the world, and no one will keep that light from shining. Today our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature. 
and we responded with the best of America, with the daring of our rescue workers, with the caring of, for strangers and neighbors who came to give blood and help in any way they could. Immediately following the first attack, I implemented our government's emergency response plans. Our military is powerful and it's prepared. Our emergency teams are working in New York City and Washington, D.C. to help with local rescue efforts. Our first priority is to get help to those who have been injured and to take every precaution to protect our citizens at home and around the world from further attacks. The functions of our government continue without interruption. Federal agencies in Washington, which had to be evacuated today, are reopening for essential personnel tonight and will be open for business tomorrow. Our financial institutions remain strong and the American economy will be open for business as well. The search is underway for those who are behind these evil acts. I've directed the full resources of our intelligence and law enforcement communities to find those responsible and to bring them to justice. We will make no distinction between the terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbor them. I appreciate so very much the members of Congress who have joined me in strongly condemning these attacks. And on behalf of the American people, I thank the many world leaders who have called to offer their condolences and assistance. America and our friends and allies join with all those who want peace and security in the world. And we stand together to win the war against terrorism. Tonight, I ask for your prayers for all those who grieve, for the children whose worlds have been shattered, for all whose sense of safety and security has been threatened. And I pray they will be comforted by a power greater than any of us, spoken through the ages in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. This is a day when all Americans from every walk of life unite in our resolve for justice and peace. America has stood down any enemies before, and we will do so this time. None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. Thank you. Good night, and God bless America. I want you all to know that America today, America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon.
The nation sends its love and compassion. God bless America! Everybody who is here. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for making the nation proud. And may God bless America. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against Al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. These carefully targeted actions are designed to disrupt the use of Afghanistan as a terrorist base of operations and to attack the military capability of the Taliban regime. All right, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the 51st episode of the Come This Far podcast with Chris Taylor. I am your host, Chris Taylor, and what we have just listened to may bring up some traumatic uh, memories. And on this, the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, I found it um, appropriate to kind of revisit that day um and and listen to how it unfolded um and what it meant to not only our country but the entire world and to personalize it a little bit um i just wanted to go in depth about how I remember it, where I was, what I was doing in hopes that it will, um, it will sort of spurn you to do that as well, to reflect, um, and to kind of reminisce about what you remember of that day. Um, and I, and I, and I'm aware of the fact that some of you, at least knowing my audience, looking at the statistics of the age groups, uh, that listen to this podcast on a regular basis, some of you, uh, were not alive. And so that that's even more important for, for you to revisit, um, an event that is purely in history for you. It's hard for me to fathom that it it was 20 years ago that this took place. I, because the, the, the memories of that day are still so vivid and so fresh and i i can't i can't describe how quickly the last 20 years has has flown by and and how different things are today um so just to start at the very beginning let's let's go back to that day uh we just listened to uh 10 or or so minutes um 
15 minutes or so of of some uh some of the footage that that occurred that day on the news as it unfolded um i realized that you are only you're listening to the audio of that um but i think it it is just as powerful especially for those of you we've all seen the images we've all seen documentaries we've all seen um we all remember if we were alive and, and old enough to remember what happened that day you know we don't we don't have to necessarily go and and see the planes hitting the towers again um to 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 bring that up in our in our memories but on september 11th 2001 i was 15 years old i had just been discharged from the hospital uh this was a tuesday september 11th on the the previous thursday in a jv football game i was a sophomore in high school i was um starting quarterback for my junior varsity football team um i was one of only a handful of sophomores uh that were also um brought up to varsity to play to play both JV and varsity. Um, I actually started on defense um, as a sophomore on the varsity team, um, but as an offensive player, um, not getting many reps on the on the varsity team, I that's where I got that's where I played um, on the JV team. And it was the second game of the season. Um, we were I, I was returning a kickoff. And I was face masked. Um, so the defender pulled my face mask and spun me around. And another opponent speared me in my back with his helmet, which both of which were illegal um, plays, penalties. And I, those of you who've heard my story about the origins of my addiction, uh, may remember this, maybe, maybe remember this story, but my, I, I, I experienced the most excruciating pain that, uh, to this day that I've ever felt. Um, I couldn't move because of the pain, um, the uh, pulsating electric pain that went down my, my left leg and my right leg. Um, what had happened was my, a disc in my back was was ruptured and um, the nerves were damaged and my kidneys were severely bruised. Um, the The trainers fearing that there could have been uh, something more serious, um, such as a, a ruptured spleen. Uh, they rushed me to the hospital where I stayed for four or so days. Um, and that's where I first experienced um, opioids when they gave me morphine um, in an IV to treat the pain, the severe pain. Um, and, and of course, that began, um, that is where my addiction began to opioid, um, to opioids. Anyway, so, so I was not at school school this day um i had woke i had woken up pretty early uh because my um 
you know, my brother had to go to school and, and that's just the, around the time that, that I was accustomed to waking up. Um, even though I wasn't going to school that day, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to just, just gonna sleep the whole day. So I was up around six, um, in, in quite a bit of pain still, um, from the injury, uh, you know, it was hard to, to kind of move. And so as my as my family was getting ready for the day uh, my father was away um on bi- on on business which was common um especially around that time he was very active in his uh career and he was he traveled uh quite a bit for business he happened to be in chicago uh this morning um september 11 2001 he he was scheduled to be in a business meeting downtown chicago um, either, I can't remember either in the Sears tower or near the Sears tower. Um, that, that's, that part is, is, um, kind of shaky in my memory. I, I do remember that it was, it was either in the Sears tower or, or adjacent to the Sears tower, um, uh, in a high rise, um, no doubt in Chicago. And I woke up that morning and turned the TV on. Um, I was 15 years old. I, I, I was a regular 15 year old, you know, sports was, or my, was my life. I, I didn't consume a whole lot of, of news. Um, but I, I was, I did find myself, um, interested in, in world affairs. And so every once in a while in the mornings, I would, I would listen to the morning news just to kind of have, um, at least, a, a passing, um, idea of, of current events, right? Um, I wasn't too engaged politically or, or anything else, but I, I did, I did, um, make an effort to, to listen to the news and watch the news. And so I turned on the TV. Um, I think I, it was a a local news channel an Arizona news channel, probably, um, Fox 10 or, or, or channel three, um, news in Arizona, good morning, Arizona, whatever. And I remember, you know, it had to have been probably, um, around six 30 or so in the morning. So, um, that would have been, or, or six in the morning would have been, you know, nine o'clock on the East coast, right around the time that the attacks were underway. And, I can remember just freezing as I watched the image, the images, I happened to turn the TV on literally 30 seconds uh, before the second plane hit the tower hit the South tower live on TV. And of course the first plane had hit the tower. Um, and, and there wasn't any footage immediately. Of course there was, um, very few, uh, um, video footage of the first plane. Um, the famous one is of course that, that documentary crew that was with a, a fire to fire, uh, company, a ladder company in in Manhattan doing a documentary on a uh, a rookie firefighter, and they happened to be out, um, you know, 
around Midtown, um, between Midtown and Lower Manhattan, um, on a gas leak call when when the plane flew very low and then hit the and the, and the camera um, operator happened to to span up just as the just just in time to get the image of that. But of course, on that day, as it was unfolding no news organization had that footage so there was speculation of what actually happened there was there was um, reports that that perhaps um a small plane had hit the tower a cessna or or something like that you know a small five or six seat um plane that had probably just gone off course or maybe the pilot had had a heart attack or or a stroke or something like that um and so but but the fire was starting to rage um it was it was horrific because you could see that multiple floors of the high-rise um tower were on fire and and the news um anchors at the time were reacting in real time and you know it was it was things were were chaotic uh to say the least and but but when that second plane that was clearly not a Cessna. It was a, it was a, a, a jetliner, um, of the, of the biggest magnitude deliberately flew into the second tower that at that time it became immediately clear that this was no accident, that we were under attack there began to be um, immediately be reports that that the FBI was investigating multiple hijacks, um, that there could be more planes that had been hijacked. And um, and so I was watching this as it unfolded. And my immediate thought, because I remember I remember listening at this point, the you know, the local news channels had all um switched over to to national coverage um so it was it was the national news had had superseded and and taken over all of the local um you know coverage and and most of it was was from you know affiliates in new york city um that were that had the the best information i guess um on the ground and i remember hearing uh a report. I don't know if they were interviewing somebody, a producer, or somebody um, in law enforcement, or uh, you know, somebody had us. You know, they they were they were rapidly trying to find sources to get information to break the story, to break the news. You know, to to report um, what exactly was happening. And I remember hearing that the Sears Tower in Chicago was being evacuated and my heart sank because i knew that my father was in chicago either in the sears tower or right next to the sears tower and if the Sears Tower was being evacuated, then other high-rise um, buildings in Chicago and other major cities across the United States uh, were also being evacuated and, and, and could be targets as well. Because 
you know, if if New York is a target, uh, Washington D.C. is a target, Los Angeles is a target, Chicago is a target, right? The the major cities um, of the United States are targets of terrorist organizations, and I immediately grabbed my my cell phone and started to dial my my dad and i got no reply um and i called again and again and again and could not get through to him um and later i you know a few hours i don't know how much later he finally called but he was in fact being evacuated uh under threat of um a, p- a potential attack on his location and but i remember feeling such relief when when he called um back and said that he was okay that he was aware of what was happening that he was going to drop everything and get home as soon as possible um and it became clear within within the hour or two that after the plane had hit the pentagon and then another plane had had uh crashed crashed in pennsylvania that the the president um immediately moved to ground and halt all air travel across the united states and it and it was indefinite so there was no, you know, before those the first days that everything was so chaotic and information was so sporadic and and you know intelligence was coming in rapid fire. Um, the the everybody was 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 bracing for more attacks because uh, after the first two planes hit the towers, and then of course you know I I continued to watch. I, I never, I, for, for 12, at least 12, maybe even 15 hours that day, I didn't move from the couch with my eyes on the TV, just, just in, in shock and, um, trying to understand and grasp just what was happening. And also at the same time, being fearful that my father was in a place that was not safe relative to where I was in, in Safford, Arizona, a small town in Southern Arizona where, you know, no terrorist is, is going to be able to find on a map. And when I heard that the, that the flights were all flights were canceled indefinitely. And, you know, my father potentially would have to stay in Chicago for, for who knows how long. Um, it was scary. And, but my father, true to his word, um, promised me that he would make it home, um, as soon as possible. He would not stay, um, in Chicago. He rented a car and drove straight home from Chicago to Safford without stopping um, to make it home to his family. And I remember um, 
I remember how grateful I was um, to have a father that that cared about his family um, that much, that knew that could that could hear the fear um, in my voice, in in our you know our family's um, demeanor, and um, that that he would sacrifice um, you know whatever it took to make it home. And that's what he did. And, you know, but as that day, um, went on and, and the towers, I, I watched live as the towers collapsed. I watched live as the Pentagon, um, with black smoke billowing from the Pentagon, um, I listened to all the reports. I remember distinctly having a a firm understanding that the course of my life would be altered and shaped by this event. And I don't think... I could say the same for, for most of my friends, most of my peers, um, that, that no doubt, you know, we're, we're watching the same things and watching the same images. Um, but we're not grasping or reacting, um, with the same, what's the word? the same, um, seriousness, I guess, or, or maybe not feeling the full weight of, of what this event meant for our country and for the world. And as a 15 year old, um, with just within just a few short years would be graduating high school and be eligible for, um, the military draft and, and, you know, all of these things that you, you started to hear people talk about, um, this in a, in a sense like Pearl Harbor, where we were attacked by an enemy that, that sought to destroy our country and people were putting their lives on hold to enlist in the military. Um, in Arizona, one of those figures that, that soon after the attacks that, that made the sacrifice was Pat Tillman, um, as a, as an Arizona state football team fan. Um, and as an Arizona Cardinals fan, I, I was a big fan of Pat Tillman. And I remember, um, a few weeks after the attacks, hearing that news, that he was, he had just signed like a $40 million contract with the, with the Cardinals. Um, and he was going to put that all on hold to join the army and go and fight. And at this time, um, president Bush had announced, um, military action against, you know, the Taliban and Al Qaeda in Afghanistan, and, um, 
So that day, though, go back to September 11th, I, for some reason, I just knew. I knew from that moment that I would be involved somehow, some way, in this conflict. That this was a, this was my generation's Pearl Harbor. Maybe it didn't have the the same effect because it, it wasn't World War Three. It wasn't on the scale of of World War Two. Um, but nonetheless, we declared war on an enemy. And we sent men and women into combat to fight uh, that enemy. And um, so I still had two, three more years of high school. And I threw all of my effort into um, my, my athletic career to get a scholarship to college to play um, to play basketball or football in college. That was still my goal. Um, I, I had expressed interest to my father, of course, my father being a Vietnam veteran, um, that had not been drafted, but had enlisted, um, voluntarily because he felt that his country needed him. I felt that same way, but my father said, you need to get your degree first. And then you can go into the military as an officer. Um, you know, you don't need to go right away and and be a grunt and go um, fight on the front lines right now. It, it will it will still be there. And I remember thinking, there's no way that's still going to be there. You know, look at all the look at World War Two. It, it it was four years. You know, within within a few years, this war is going to be over, and and I'm not going to be um be able to tell my children that I did anything when my country needed me, um, because I was certain even at that young age that the the United States would not commit the same mistakes that we did in Vietnam, um, but here we are, twenty years later, with all of the benefit of hindsight. Um, and we've done not only that, but worse, um, staying in Afghanistan for 20 years, I no doubt had my fair share. The war was still there. Um, I didn't graduate college by the time I enlisted. Um, but I, I had attended college and had, um, a, a year and a half of college and, and then my life, um, was at a point where uh, I'd needed to to enlist and go, and my father supported that. But I I can't tell you enough how monumental um, and fateful that day was, not only for my future fighting in Afghanistan, but the, the, where I was personally at that point, um, where my addiction had started, 
and and how closely intertwined um you know that those events of my football injury being introduced to to morphine um and then you know how how much that had affected my life um in relation to um my military service and and everything else um september 11 2001 uh was a day that i will never forget it's a day that i will always remember the images and the feelings vividly 20 years later it it doesn't feel real that it's 20 that it is 20 years later um and real quick i i'd like to also really talk about how how grateful i was to be an american and to see how united we were in our common interests and our common goals in in our love for for one another um i remember feeling such pride in the response that not only the first responders that 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 bravely and courageously gave their lives to save others in the attacks but but those willing to to raise their right hand and and be the tip of the spear in the response um to al-qaeda and the taliban and and you know the 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 most partisan members on both sides putting all of that division behind at least for the moment and and coming together for the common good that is something that i long for today something that is missing um and and that is the difference in in the things that we face today and and the trials that we faced 20 years ago we are now in a place where we are unable to come together like we did and that is to the detriment of our country thank you for listening to this to this special 20-year anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the come this far podcast with chris taylor have a great day joseph pfeiffer didn't just answer the call that day he also made the call. We just had a, a plane crash into level four of the World Trade Center. While on another routine run in lower Manhattan, Pfeiffer literally heard the sound of disaster coming. I heard this loud noise of a plane coming overhead. And then I watched this plane flying at a low altitude race past us. The moment captured by a film crew that had been following Pfeiffer that day, later featured in a documentary. Plane's going this way. Going along the, uh, the Hudson River at a very, very fast speed. And so low I could read on the fuselage the word American. And then I saw the plane aim and crash into the World Trade Center. Pfeiffer, an FDNY battalion chief at the time, was likely closest and initially in charge. Like the plane was aiming towards the building, transmit a third alarm. I remember 
having to slow my thinking down a little bit and create a, a deliberate calm. You immediately sent your firefighters into the North Tower. Did you know what you were sending them into? I knew that we had multiple floors on fire, and I knew that thousands of people were, were trapped. He made critical decisions, ordering the South Tower evacuated before it was hit, likely saving countless lives. Among the firefighters who raced into the North Tower was his younger brother and fellow firefighter, Kevin. My brother, as he came in, we were able to look at each other and wondered if we were both going to be okay. And later, as the conditions grew worse, Chief Pfeiffer issued this ominous order. And I got on the radio and said, command to all units in Tower 1, evacuate the building. You were asking firefighters to leave a burning building, full knowledge that there were people that you couldn't reach. Perhaps the first time in history that a fire chief ordered the evacuation of our firefighters with a thousand people in the building. In his book, Ordinary Heroes, Pfeiffer doesn't describe supermen rushing into the burning tower, but in fact, ordinary mortal men. I look at my hero firefighters, and I think they would say the same thing, that they we did ordinary things, but in an extraordinary time in history. Including his brother. Kevin Pfeiffer. This is my brother, with his entry company, we lost the entire engine company that day. As we walk along here, you see all these names. These are the people we lost that day. How much do you think about the people that you and your firefighters saved that day? That day, uh, we saved 20,000 people. And I think that's what we have to remember. 20 years after September 11, 2001, we're talking... Um, we're, we're remembering that day or we're thinking about uh, the actions that took place, the events, uh, what it meant for our country, what it meant for the world, what it meant for us personally, um, how it changed the course of history. Um, so many things changed in an instant that day. And as a collective, um, it, we, we tend to you know, look at those things, um, how they, how they changed our life, how they, um, how they affected our, you know, everyday lives. Um, some things come to mind like air travel was never the same. Um, the, the pretty much, I guess you could say the nuisance of having to take your shoes off and all of the added security at the airports and, and everything else, um, we we look at things like that, um, and and we tend to remember those things and and how you know the world changed. I think that after twenty years, uh, and and for a lot of people that weren't affected personally, like as in weren't at Ground Zero or at the Pentagon or didn't have a family member that that died in the attacks um maybe even even those of us that that were affected by the 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 resulting war on terror um 
tend to to look at the the 9/11 attacks as an event um, that happened, but maybe overlook just how immensely so many lives, human lives, were affected as a result. And I'm and I'm not talking about the people that died. Talking about the family members of the that 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 you know the the 343 firefighters that died in the in the World Trade Center. All of those children and young wives and parents um, and, and and husbands that that in an instant. lost their loved one. All of the people that went to work that day, like any other day, and never came home. I'm talking about all the people on the, on the top floors of the World Trade Center that had absolutely no choice but to jump to their certain death rather than be burned alive because there was absolutely no way they were going to be rescued despite how much those brave firefighters tried to reach the top they never were going to get those people out. They they had no mechanism to you know the the it was a it was a perfect attack in that for those 10 15 floors of the World Trade Center that were affected and the floors that were above they had no escape. And I and I the the more documentaries I see the more footage I watch, the more um, firsthand accounts that I um, consume. It's just unfathomable. And I try to put myself in there in the shoes of those people that were there. the people that called their loved ones and left a voicemail or, or talked to their loved one and said, I'm not going to make it home. In the United States of America, we have always taken for granted that relative safety and security that on a, on a regular Tuesday morning in September, where we wake up, and we go through our morning routines and we go to work. Now, we could always have a car accident. People die every day, every minute of the day throughout the country. Things always happen. But not like that. Not on that scale. And the horror that unfolded... Um, 
it's important to to remember that to seek those firsthand accounts from the people that that are willing to tell their story these are things that we cannot forget and i and and i'm saddened that we have as a country we have forgotten how it felt that day we we have forgotten how close that those events brought us as a nation it was the single silver lining in that whole situation and how different things are today makes me sad mostly sad angry as well for the selfish people that for whatever reason want to see other Americans as the mortal enemy instead of fellow Americans that see things slightly different or have different mindset or different ideology, but who all want the same things in essence. I wish more than anything that we could all go back to that day the feeling of unity the feeling of for a moment at least nothing else mattered other than you are my fellow countryman or my fellow human being and I'm going to help you. Those are the stories that I love to consume around the anniversaries of 9-11. And what I'm looking forward to most on the 20th anniversary is, is the new um, untold stories that, that will come out and have been coming out um, to hear and to, and to revisit um, those stories just the humanity and the human decency that emerged from such pure and unadulterated evil that we witnessed that we all witnessed that day my heart goes out to those individuals who lost uh, a family member or a close friend in the attacks for us for me, it doesn't seem possible that it's been 20 years. And I know that somebody that was affected personally must feel the same way. It's important to keep those memories alive. It's important to tell their stories. It's important to commit to unity, to do our part to build a better country and a more prosperous country and and a and a more united country we're more, more divided now than at any point in american history
I think that is clear. Where do we go from here? Will it take another horrific attack to bring us together? And and should it? Anyway, these are my thoughts. Um, thanks for listening to this special episode of the Come This Far podcast with Chris Taylor. We've been revisiting the 9-11 attacks 20 years later, the 20th anniversary. May God bless all of you. May God bless the United States of America. Um, thank you for listening to the Come This Far podcast with Chris Taylor. We will be back with a new episode very, very soon.